Hello and welcome to Mixbus with me, Kevin Paul. This series aims to allow some of the best producers, mixers, engineers and other music industry people to discuss their careers and their approach to music. The success of this series depends on people hearing it, so don't forget to tell your friends if you like what you hear and remember to give it a five-star rating and please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, special offers and promotions. This episode is brought to you in association with KMR, the UK's leading independent pro-audio retailer and recorded in association with Audient and the ID44. It's also brought to you in association with FilePass, a file sharing platform built specifically for the needs of the audio industry. It allows your clients to hear your mixes in the way that you want them to hear them. Find out more at kpmixbus.com and follow us on facebook.com slash kpmixbus and at kpmixbus on Instagram and Twitter. Today's guest is Dave McCracken, a songwriter, producer and programmer who has worked with artists including Beyonce, Depeche Mode, Ian Brown, Alicia Keys, Mr Hudson, Florence and the Machine and John Legend. He also works with up-and-coming bands including Pit Blom, Swim Deep, Hotel Lux, All We Are and Sports Team. Dave, welcome. How are you? Um, good, Kevin. How are you? Very well, thank you. Great to be here. Let's talk about some of those new bands that you're working with. All right. Um, what, what's, the, what's the sort of situation with that? Well, about two years ago, um, I just wanted to try and do something a bit different. So um, I just started going out and going to gigs, and I got really excited by all the new bands that were sort of coming out. Yeah in a scene which was really exciting because on radio it was just all hip-hop and grime but there was like this really healthy buzz of new bands like it comes stems from like say fat white family um through to like sort of like um, fontaine's dc there's like a, yeah. there's a new sort of thing coming out and um so i just started going out going to gigs and i loved what i heard so what I tried to do was help them, work with them, help them develop, help them understand what they need to do in order to sharpen their tools in their boxes. Yeah, sure. And just do EPs and records with all these new bands. And um, I've loved it. Loved every minute. It's so different, so different. In what way is it different to you? Well, basically, before that, I was sort of like living in New York working on a lot of hip-hop signed to Rock Nation. Um, It was basically me in a room on my own 24 hours a day and a rapper would pop in every now and again and then leave. And it got really, really lonely. Right. And kind of boring. So I said, I want to be in a room full of kids. When you haven't got an idea, you look around and there's five people looking at you with better ideas that you've got. Yeah. And that excites me. And it's about that for me. It's about how the room is excited before you record. That thing of being in the room with people, that community. Yeah. Yeah, that community of five people. Yeah. That's how a lot of those great records that we love were made, right? Yeah. And the, the hip-hop thing, while obviously hip-hop is a... I mean, I'm a huge fan of hip-hop. Same, I'm a massive fan. You know, but the production approach is very different, as you said. 100%. You know, and, 100%. and I can understand how the, you... There would... is moments in the hip-hop world where 
when they show up and they come and do their rhymes and do their lines and yeah. do their bars and there's a full gang in the studio it's it's electric it's yeah. incredible yeah yeah but that lasts for about an hour and then you're back on your own for another eight hours looking at <laughs> kick drums <laughs> so you just thought you know what i'm just going to go and find some bands yeah. and start making records yeah yeah wicked, wicked. Are you helping them with being signed or funding? Um, well, I, or? well I, I've got I've got a lot of friends, yeah. and um, we all help each other out, you know. And um, but it's it's something that I think I'm going to try and look into doing. Um, it's setting some infrastructure so I can get, it'd be like a one stop shop, really. Wow, like a little production company. Well, a little. I want to try and set up a little label that just looks at EPs and first releases for bands in order to help them get a leg up, get a step up. I'm just really interested in getting in early with these bands yeah. and not telling them that they're wrong and sending them around the world, writing with all the best songwriters in the world. Yeah. It's sort of sitting with them and nurturing them because they've got the tools. You don't have to do it for them. You've just got to help them. Yeah. Where in, this, in the world I was in when I was living in New York, of course we're doing great songs. I've got like Bruno Mars in the room, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like John Legend, I've got all the... They're amazing. Of course. But when a young kid comes out and he looks at me and he's singing John Legend's words, it just isn't the same. Yeah. Because I come from an indie background and a bit more alternative background. Yeah. When someone says something, I want to feel it rather than just say, oh, it's pretty. Yeah. That's the thing I've went back into bands for. Whatever they need, it can be anything. Yeah, I can I can tune guitars or do beats. <laughs> you'd rather do the guitars. Well, any out the one or both. Yeah, anything they want. Yeah. Coffee, lemon chicken pasta, whatever they want. <laughs> whatever they want. Back scratch. <laughs> That's a great name for a label, actually. First release. Yeah, it, it absolutely <laughs> is. First release. Well, let's talk about like your musical background. You, you mentioned there that you're from indie sort of background yeah. is that correct is that how how did what what's your sort of well your roots to the studio well my roots to the studio basically well when i was growing up i was just obsessed with depeche mode yeah so i got into music through them and learning all their songs and then i just sort of fell into it really it's like how did um, that happen I, I was i was working for steinberg yeah. Cubase, VST, when that first came out. Yeah. The first time MIDI and audio came together. Cubase audio. And it didn't work. Basically, I was head of technical support for Cubase. So there was a few, like, big clients, and I just got friendly with them, and then I, I got asked to a friend of mine who was looking after him. Um, it was called Mark Seyfritz. He was Goldie's programmer on the drum and bass scene. Yeah on the infamous second album, Opus. Oh, yeah. And he called me in to help, so that was the first thing I sort of did. I was working on that crazy... As a programmer? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Helping out programming, just doing whatever we needed to do. And um, I always remembered we did it down at Ridge Farm. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, the residential. Yeah, yeah, and we did it on a SSL J series. And there was one song he had called Mother, and it was a 45 drum and bass opus, if you can imagine that. And he wouldn't let us, the engineer and everybody, they wanted to do it as a 45-minute as piece. Yeah. 
J-Series was maybe a few months old. They'd only tested it running automation for 10 minutes. Okay. So seven days into the mix, the computer crashed and started deleting all the automation channels. Helpful. So we didn't know... So it wasn't just Steinberg. (laughs) (laughs) So we didn't know whether to knock the desk off, because sometimes when you knock the desk off, you can blow it. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, Or just knock the computer off, which was a bit scary too. Um, I don't know how we fixed it, but we only lost 10 channels, which was the effects return at the end of the desk. So that was all right. But... And drum and bass is kind of intense. It wasn't just sort of basic automation. Yeah, I've, wor- I've worked with Goldie in the studio. He's I've amazing. Yeah. The energy, it's unbelievable. The energy, the, yeah, the energy he brings. That thing that you were talking about. What I want to do with bands, exactly yeah. that. The thing is about producing, right, you don't have to sit there and physically do everything, right? Yeah. For me, you've just got to make sure that room is electric yeah. and people are thinking of things that they've never thought before. Yeah. And it, and then all you've got to do is put a few shit mics up and record it. Because if you've got the room buzzing, yeah. anything's going to be brilliant. Yeah, that's and that's true. what Goldie was great at. He made everyone in the room feel fucking 10 foot tall. Yeah. And everybody went out that extra 100% for him. Did you have the aspiration when you were no, Steinberg? You I, were just... I, I was just going with it. Yeah. I was just going... So laid back. Mate, mate, I'm a welder from Cumbria. I used to weld nuclear flasks. Really? Yeah. Okay. So I'm a, a fully classified, trained nuclear flask welder. Well, if, I'm so, ever, if I ever need a nuclear flask yeah, welder. Yeah, I, I actually burn a bit hotter than everyone else because I'm a bit nuclear. <laughs> um, so I didn't have any aspirations. I was just like, I am where I'm at. I'm not where I'm from. I am where I'm at. And whatever comes, I'm going to have a go. Yeah. That's how, that's how I met Ian Brown. Oh, really? Tell, tell me more about that. Well, basically, Ian booked himself into a studio in Sam. It was 99. Yeah. And I was working a lot with Trevor Horn at that time, to playing all the keyboards and doing beats and stuff for him. So I was always in Sam. Yeah. And I met Ian, and he came in with two ideas on an 8-track, an art, the Fostex R8. Yeah, yeah. And... He needed 10 songs and we had six weeks to do it because he wanted it out before the year 2000. <laughs> and I met him in March and after a week, he told me I was producing. I was meant to be just programming and playing keyboards. But after a week, he told me I was producing and I was in his band. <laughs> and then that's it. Fantastic. What a great story. And then I was with him for three years after that. Did three albums with him. I mean, that's not unusual. The uh, I just do something on the session and someone takes a yeah. life into you. And that's it. You're off. You're in. Yeah. You're doing your thing. So many people think the role of the producer is just to sit there and tell people what to do. No. Nah. First thing you've got to do before you tell anyone what to do is listen to everyone. Right. Okay. Can you explain more about that that process? That well, basically, you know what I mean? You talk about the songs, you talk about what the songs mean, you hear everyone's take on it, and then you set up a few goals and things that we need to do that should fulfil everyone's needs. How do you approach that? You just sit and listen, and I get to know people. And when you get to know people, you find out how they want to express themselves. And then then just, if they want to get from A to B, 
and there's four people that want to get from A to B and they've all got different visions. Mm. You sort of just make a toll bridge and just get them all to come to one. Right. Are you like a conduit? Yeah. For I, them? I'm just, I'm just, a, I, I, I basically, I try to be as objective as possible. But if someone does something great and they don't agree, I'll go to war with them to keep it because right. them moments, you, you know what it's yeah. like in the studio. Yeah, of course. You can be playing that guitar part over and over and over and over yeah. and then the guitar string stops and something happens yeah. and that becomes the loop. That's the loop, yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's them moments. It's them moments that I really live for. I remember when I was working on playing the Angel with Ben Hillier. Oh, yeah. yeah. And because it's all programmed and it's all modular and it's all MIDI, he used to do this amazing thing where he used to get us all sitting up and rather than it being all synced, everybody just sort of pressed play when they wanted on oh, the sequences. Okay. And, it and ran, just join in. And it ran away with itself. Yeah. But I'm telling you, there was a few moments about 16 minutes into the jam. Yeah that it was doing something that computers shouldn't be doing. It was like Sly and the Family Stone. It was yeah, yeah. brilliant. And all we did... It... Take those three minutes out or whatever. That's the song. It's really hard to make machines jam with each other. Yeah, but well, that's a great way to do that's it. Where, how, that's how Ben described it to us. It was, yeah. it was like, how do you make machines not think about the one and zero? Well, it's interesting you say that because one, one of the things that in this series speaking with a lot of producers from let's say a live background here but how different is it when you're working with midi because there isn't that spontaneity that you've just described there's no guitar string snapping i mean maybe in years gone by machines wouldn't work properly which gives it which gave gave it it's it's like with the old mpcs and the sps yeah they couldn't um, handle the midi information yeah so, so they'd jam so, up or... No, they, they did prioritise, so um, always A1 yeah. would trigger before A2. Yeah. So your kick drum always went on A1. Yeah. And your snare went on A2. That's right. And then your hat went on A3, cause, and they always hit a slight behind, so that's how you got that That's shuffle. how you got the shuffle. Yeah, because of but the most information. And that's from right? a mistake. Yeah, very interesting. You know what I mean? It's That's what's interesting for me. How do you create that? That jam machine, how do you create that well, kind of... Well, basically, I, I tend not to put swing and stuff on there. So I mainly work, when I'm doing grooves, I mainly work with velocities and attack of the sample. Okay. So using the attack of the sample, you can make it drag or have it really tight. Yeah, yeah. And, and it all depends what sort of stuff you're doing, you know what I mean? It's like... I remember with Mark Bell on Exciter, yeah. which is a totally different sound in Depeche Mode album. Yeah, yeah, very laid to, back, very chilled out. Well, no, it's yeah. very Bjork-esque and how yeah. he used to do it. Everything was clinical. So if there was a sample played and another sample came in, that sample would be edited out from that point. So everything's hitting clean air. Yeah. So that's how you get that sort of um, bachelorette, sort of that crusty, that... Yeah, yeah. And that's another approach. And he was... He did some mad stuff when I was working with him. He did this amazing thing with this chord pad. He wanted to make a glitch. So he ran the full three minutes of the chord onto a CDR, burnt it to a CDR, yeah. got a razor blade, cut all the CDR, put it back in and ran it back in. And it was just and that created all... It just clicks and plops everywhere, but you heard the chords underneath. Amazing. 
I was, I was blown away. <laughs> Absolute blown away. It was, a, it was, it was proper. It was a little scientist that dude. Right, Mark Bell, legend. Absolute amazing. Having not sort of come from the traditional tape up route. I've, I don't know anything. It's I'm all self-taught. Where did you... So did you just learn that by just watching yeah. and trying and... Just being in sessions. Yeah. You know and I mean? just I, having that... I've just been really lucky. I've just worked with some amazing people. That's it. Simple as that. I've worked with Floyd, Bianadilia, yeah. Steve Osborne, Steve, uh, Steve Fitzmaurice, Trevor Horn, Bob Clearmountain. I've worked with so many people yeah. that I just don't take my eyes off them. But I've never actually sat down... And being taught anything. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think many people... I don't even know how to use a patch bear. <laughs> Come on. No, I really don't. It just doesn't make any sense to us. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if, if you want, I can show you. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll take you up on that bit. <laughs> so many people go to universities and colleges now. Yeah. And they're taught yeah. how to use equipment. But the number one question I'm always asked by people is well how do you do how are you doing that and i'm like well it doesn't matter how i'm doing it how are you doing it yeah and you say that you haven't been taught but these guys have been taught but you've obviously got a very inquisitive mind yeah i know what sounds make people excited once i've talked to them so it's all about our makeup room sound so they're excited can you give me some examples of that? What, like maybe on some of the bands that you've been working with recently? Well, like say for instance, um, with a band called All We Are, yeah, um, signed to Domino. Um, we we didn't have a crazy, crazy. Well, we didn't have a budget much. We didn't have a, a crazy budget. Yeah. Um, so what we did is um, we went and made a studio in this old Victorian school that was waiting to be knocked down. It had no heat and, you know, I mean, and it was in December in Liverpool, right? (laughs) So it was pretty fucking grim, right? Um, But in a lovely way, I'm from up north. I sort of kind of like it. Yeah. Um, But the record that they'd sort of give me to produce felt like Wham Club Tropicana. It it felt like I should be drinking cocktails on the beach. Yeah. So I was like, fucking hell, like, like, how do I just vibe everyone up? So basically, um, <laughs> so I sent them all out to find palm trees. One of them went to Com- uh, Thomas Cook and got, and got all the ocean pictures, and we put them up all around the studio. Okay. We, we had surfboards. I even had a little box of sand, <laughs> so you could so you could stand in it. A little so, sand pit. Yeah, so you could feel like <laughs> you're at the beach. But we weren't. We were in Liverpool in, in November. In a school. Um, and there was, it felt fun. Yeah, yeah sure. and that's what I got out of it when to make these so wham esque. Well, everything wasn't serious. Yeah, you know what I mean. It had to feel like it was all tongue in cheek. It had to feel fun. Yeah, and um, and I saw so that's and that was using no mics. Yeah, that's that just, just using just a bit just of imagination. The amb- you know what I mean? Just the ambience. Get people. Yeah, make sure when people show up in the studio, they're on point. They know what the record's about. Um. And everyone's walking down the same path. Where did you learn that approach from? Probably everyone. Everyone I work like Trevor Horn's amazing. That yeah, Ben Hilly. You just amazing. literally just absorbing. It's, 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 it's to be honest, out of everyone who's great who I've worked with, everyone's different. 
the common thing is they always make the room feel great. Leave room for the magic Absolutely. to come into Absolutely. the room. Don't have the answers. Yeah. Just sort of know which sort of direction you're going. Yeah. And and don't be, you know what I mean? I hate, I hate them sessions where you show up. I do these writing sessions sometimes. And they don't even know any lyrics that they're going to sing. And they'll go, oh, just make a little vibe, right? So I'll get my drum machine up and I put a kick drum on. And the first thing they say to me is, oh, I don't like that kick drum. And what I say to them, I go, oh, you don't like the kick drum? Well, I don't like any of your words because you haven't got any. You know what, what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's ridiculous to sort of pull someone up on a, a tiny little detail. It's like, imagine you want to write the best song in the world. Yeah. But you only can use things that would fit in a matchbox. How are you going to do that? Yeah. You put yourself in a box before you've even started. First thing I love to do is just free people and just go in a direction. It doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. If it's perfect, it's a fluke. Yeah. It's luck. It's pure luck. It's yeah. Pure luck. And that happens. And that's I, great, yeah. I've had them moments. Yeah. But also I've had the moments where no one's believed in a song and I've had to present it four times until people got it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like the Beyonce song I did, um, that was three years old, done with a different artist, and just by chance she heard it. How did that come about then? How did you end up working with arguably one of the well, biggest artists? It was just one of them things. I was working, I was working with an artist called Hugo, and I'd written a song with uh, my songwriting partner, Amanda Ghost. Okay. Um, and it, we'd written this song, and it was a great song, and three years went by, and Amanda was in New York. She'd just written You're Beautiful for James Blunt. Yeah. And she was having a meeting with Beyonce, and she played Beyonce the song. She loved it. So Amanda phoned me at, at 11 o'clock at night saying... Beyonce loves the song. She wants to cut it in three hours. But at the moment, it doesn't sound like an R&B song. I'm like, all right. So I ran, ran back to the studio, did the roughest ass demo I could. And then, yeah, I got it. And then, and then I flew to New York the following day to record her vocals. And I ended up getting two songs in that album. Yeah, I noticed. And that girl, I've never seen anything like it. It was... It, out of anyone in my whole career, no one works harder than her. Like seriously. That's I mean, that's, the reason I mean, that's why pretty she, obvious, isn't yeah, it? Really? The reason why she's so successful is someone with that talent who works that hard, she's unstoppable. We were in Rock the Mic in New York and there was oh there was Pharrell, Timberland, Stargate, Tricky and Dream, like all the A-list producers, right? And in a period of four weeks she cut, she, so she writ, recorded, and, and finished 70 songs. Wow. In four weeks. That's a hell of a lot of output. She did that. And, but she had a crew of, you know what I mean? There was, basically, you were lucky if you got three days in there as a producer, because right. there was that many producers trying to get on it. And I got two songs on it. <laughs> Nuclear welder. <laughs> Nuclear welder on Beyonce. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> bands can be nervous going yes. to the studio, especially bands that maybe haven't been in the studio before or have little experience. Yeah. And you you might have touched upon it already. How do, how do you sort of make them? I mean, I know you talk to them and stuff like that. That's how it. do you you just talk to them? That's, that's your that's your trick, is it? Well, it isn't a trick. It's just <laughs> it, it, it's 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 it, 
get to know them. Yeah. Just a little bit. Like, yeah, I have, I have a theory and have, and have a, a way to get stuff done quick and efficient and you nail it. Because yeah. as an engineer and a producer, at the end of the day, the ultimate, your yeah. job is to turn something in, even if the world is falling out around you. And there's fire coming up, and there's a dragon coming up from the from the kitchen. Yeah, that's the true world of being a producer. It isn't about the correct way to do it. Yeah, every yeah. single project I've done, I've always picked the perfect mic for the drums. It doesn't work. You know what I mean? So you've got to think of somewhere else. It's about thinking on your feet. What yeah. can you do? I want to go over there. That's the perfect mic to go due east, but it doesn't work. Shit! Oh, I've got some mics that go due west. Oh shit! I would. Oh, but if we roll all the top off them AKGs, yeah. it sort of sounds similar. You know, it's that that I love. Fast thinking. Just, just, just problem solving. Yeah. Get, just getting it over the finish line. Well, the role of producers, as much as and, it is, and it's always my fault. It's never anyone else's fault. If someone blows it out, it's fine. Don't worry about it. I've got it. It's my job. You yeah. just enjoy yourself. A deflector. Yeah. Just, just anything you're worrying about. I've got a big. Shoulder. I've got, yeah, I've got just, just one shoulder. <laughs> my left shoulder's really big. Just put it on my left shoulder. Not my right, just my left. Be brilliant. What, what software <laughs> are you using at the moment? What, what are you using to... Um, well, two different things. Um, I actually find it really hard to write and produce at the same time, to be honest, Kevin. What I really like to try and do is I sort of split it up. So I love Ableton. It's like writing in a sampler. It's brilliant. You can do everything that you could do in a sampler back in the day on like yeah. the archives and stuff, like filters, pitching, so quick. So I find that sort of energy, that everything's fluid and you can move. In real time, Kev, you can just go with the tempo and just follows it. Yeah, it's a great piece it, of it, software. It's, it's amazing. So I like to work like that. And then when I get it to a point where I think the song's sort of in a good spot and the tempo and the vibe's right, I get it right into Pro Tools, and then I produce it. Then I'm objective. Then you're looking at the arrangement, well, the, the hardest, sound. Yeah, the hardest or... thing is when you're a writer, right, and you spend five hours getting the perfect hat pattern, when you come to produce it, maybe the hat pattern is the red heading and you shouldn't really have it. But if you're in writing mode, it's your favourite thing in the track. You're buzzing off it, you know yeah. what I mean? You're doing a jig around the room, you know what I mean? You're dancing and shit, and then... If you can flip your mind and be a producer, that higher pattern's probably going all over the vocal. If anything, it maybe influenced what the vocal does, so you don't need it anymore. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you it's take like, it away. Yeah. You take it away to, to, yeah. to make everything sound bigger. Yeah. Um, I love that. I love that. I love knowing the answer. I love that. Do you do a lot of lyric writing? Yep. Whatever they need. Yeah. Whatever okay. they need. If they want me to do it all, I'll do it all. If they want me just to do the kick drums, I can do that. How do you approach writing lyrics? Because you get it through that you get it through their point of view, so you get them to think about things and get them to describe it back to you, and then you and then you and they they tell you it as they're talking to you. I'll get them to describe a feeling of helplessness, but it's got a positive twist that comes into the chorus, like blah 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 blah. Yeah. So you get them to talk about like. What would you feel like if you were helpless? Like, who would you call? You know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah, you, yeah. and then they sort of, they give you the, basically they give you a palette, what feels real. Do you know what I mean? They yeah. use certain words. Everyone does. Everyone uses certain words a lot. I say amazing or awesome a lot. 
I don't know why. I just like it, especially with my accent, which I shouldn't say. Amazing. It's amazing. You know, it's, it's awesome. Brilliant. So you get their sort of palette, and then you sort of just try and tell a, a simple story as possible. That's it. That's it. Fantastic. That's all I do. Is there like a process or a piece of equipment or a plug-in that you use or try to use or is your go-to on every session, every song? Well, there's things I like, you know what I mean? It's like, I love all the UAD stuff. I think it's absolutely killer. Yeah. So, like, my favourite little chain in there is, you know what I mean? It's like, if I had the outboard, it'd be the same. I just love I love the Neve channel. I love the um, LA2A channel. Yeah. Just simple things like that. I think the new RCA, the Capital Chamber, is incredible. I don't know how they've done that. I noticed you had a picture on your Insta. The, is it a mixer? A little RCA? Yes, that's my friend's. What's that? Um, it's an old radio um, six into two That looks awesome. Mixer. That yep. looks really, really cool. Um, I've got some pictures. They all opened it up and it's all been really fixed and stuff. Right. It's, it's, my, it's my friend um, Aaron, Aaron, Aaron Horn studio and um, he's got some great gear. I noticed another picture in your Insta of a slide. Yeah, that's an, that's where I've been working with Pip Blom and Swim Deep. <laughs> well, that's um, that's that a, in the studio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, so there's a studio down in Ramsgate um, called Big Jelly Studios. I might have heard and that. it's awesome. Um, you you just rock up, you stay there, you can sleep there. Like yeah. it's this old chapel, right? Um, they've got great mics. The people are lovely. And they give you the keys, and it's like your place for two weeks. Amazing, fantastic. But it's sort of the studio is a bit like Abbey Road. There's a mezzanine up. Yeah. So it's like a chapel. Studio two. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you go up the stairs to the control room. Yeah. And then you come down on the slide. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the best story about it is that um, the guy who owns it, Mike, um, he got that excited. Um, when he got the slide in, and the, basically there's no runoff. It's like it got, like it ends in the wall, <laughs> right? So there's this cl- little clever thing you got to do to get off it. Um, but he didn't think about that, and when he got it, he goes, "Oh, the slide, great!" So he pledged it up. So he got the polish out, polished all the slide, <laughs> right? Went down, sprained his ankle. <laughs> Sometimes in studios, do you know what's really hard? When you're with a band, to go in the studio for one day and cut a song, yeah, really hard. Yeah. Um, especially when you've got to sort of reinvent it and sort of get the thing of what it is. Mm. Um, but Big Jelly's great. It's like, it's reasonably priced. Um, it's really friendly. All the gear's great. And you just sort of make a mess. Yeah. Plug a load of things in. And like when I was in there doing Swim Deep, I think I didn't get the drums out. Like, I did loads of other things, but it took me three days to be happy with the drum sound. Yeah. Um, I'd, and I'd recorded maybe four songs with drums, but I got it best on, like, the third day. So I just went back and recorded it again. Yeah, easy. It's easier than fucking about. Yeah. What's the thing on quantization of live performances? Just depends who they are, what bands. Yeah. You just literally take it as a it, track by it, track. It, all depends what it is and what what's the objective. Yeah, you come back to that again, don't you? Yeah, that's, yeah. That's I find it's weird. You know what I mean? It's like 
Six music's cool if you don't quantize it, because it's sort of that thing. Um, to hear unquantized music on Radio 1 is kind of weird. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It's, like, it's, it's like, where is it? Is it Radio 1, Radio 2, Six Music? Is it for northern of them? And then we won't put any drums on them, we'll sing backwards. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just, whatever, whatever you need, really. Yeah. The last section is called Dither and Delay. This is about what you try to avoid in the studio. Not what you do, what you try not to do. Like, what do I try and... Let me think about this. That's actually a really good question. Because everyone I, talks about what they do. I want to know what you try not to do. It doesn't have to be a process. could be a train of thought. could be a, an environment thing. I, tr- I, tr- I, I sort of do anything, because... You know what I mean? I've, like, I've worked with, basically, drum and bit, Goldie, Ian Brown, yeah. Depeche Mode, Beyonce, Kanye West. You know what I mean? It's like... It, Everything's so different to work on. I can't work with Kanye like I do with Beyonce. I can't work with Beyonce like I do with Depeche Mode. Yeah. It, so I haven't really got anything that I, I don't So maybe, maybe, maybe you try not to rule anything out. I always try and keep an open mind. You know what? The only thing I don't like in studios is when people start macro producing. I fucking hate that. Where you're in a studio and... It isn't even mixed, and no one really truly knows how true the sound is. And then people start telling you to do an eighth tweak on a filter yeah. that only bats can hear. Yeah. I, I don't like doing stuff like that, because it's all just about their ego. You know what I mean? It's not to do with the right sound or not. Yeah. It's just that's the alpha person in the room. Yeah. He just needs to do that. I normally try and get him to make dinner and get all that stuff done before he comes back. Why do you want to do that? Sounds great, doesn't it, lads? <laughs> or, or lad S's. Lad yeah, yeah. No, I call everyone lads. <laughs> lads, everyone's a lad. Everyone's a lads. There's no rules. There really isn't any rules. Try not to rule anything out. Whatever sparks someone or whatever gives anyone a bit of internal light, whatever that is. You leave space for that, do you? Always. Yeah. It's got to come from them, never from me. It's not my, it's not me. Yeah, sure. Because they don't, they, like, what I find, especially with the artists, if you don't support them and let them do it, I can do it. Simple. But it's way better if they do it. It really is. Yeah. Dave, it's been absolutely fantastic catching up with you after all these years. I really appreciate you taking the time to see me. Anytime, mate. And I'll speak to you soon. Awesome. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Mix Bus with me, Kevin Paul. Don't forget to give us a five-star rating and subscribe to the whole series on Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember to join me for the next episode, and until then, goodbye.